Hello, and welcome to our podcast. I'm Dr. Mark White, and today I will be discussing the topic of failed expectations and what we do about them. Today's talk is titled, We Can't Help You. Now what? A perspective on chronic problems. What do I mean? I'll give you five examples. Many years ago, when I began my private practice, I encountered a 49-year-old patient who had severe low back pain. She had been in an automobile accident, she ruptured a disc, had surgical repair during which a nerve was severed, and she was left with drop foot. She was sent to three other physical therapists over the subsequent years, each attempting to fix her and each failing. Each eventually ended their efforts with some version of the statement, we've done all we can do for you, you're just going to have to learn to live with the pain. She was shattered. For the next several years, she relied on pain pills, was unable to sleep in her bed, but instead was able to pass out in a poolside recliner her husband brought inside for her. She walked with a walker, an AFO, and a lumbar support orthosis. Additional surgery was not an option. She suffered from what is called failed back syndrome. She moved less, slept less, gained weight, and hurt more. I saw another patient with the worst osteoarthritis of the knee I had encountered. She had a history of past trauma to both knees, ACL repair and meniscal resection in one knee and meniscal resection in the other knee. For the past eight years, her knees had been gradually worsening. In the past six months, they took a rapid turn for the worse, and three months ago, she began experiencing level eight pain during the day in both knees at rest with bilateral five and a half to six centimeters of swelling and pitting edema into the bilateral lower extremities. She was tearful in my office as she reported just turning 50 and being told by the specialty surgeon her past orthopedic surgeon referred her to that her knees were worse than any he had ever seen. He showed her the x-rays. She had large area bone on bone degenerative changes. She needed bilateral total knee orthoplasties, past physical therapy, knee injections with steroids and viscosupplementation, all failed to provide any long-lasting relief. Things only got worse. Another example, a patient with end-stage shoulder arthritis. She was 56 years old with severe degenerative OA of the glenohumeral joint. She had ongoing symptomology for 10 years, worsening over the past six. Shoulder elevation and deflection or abduction was limited in both cases to about 35 degrees, with severe pain and stiffness limiting mobility. When she moved, her shoulder was so noisy with crepitus that you could hear it across a busy room. Pain was level 6 to 7 during the day, achy with spikes to 9 with errant movements pressure against her shoulder, or at night while trying to sleep. That alone was an ordeal, with level 5 pain on medications and spiking again if she moved out of her protected position. Past physical therapy at different clinics over the years had failed to relieve her symptoms. Things only got worse. She insisted on trying a non-operative approach one more time before committing to a shoulder replacement. Her surgeon told her, when that fails again, come and see me. Another example, 
76-year-old female patient with end-stage hip osteoarthritis, was sent to me for post-total hip orthoplasty rehab of her right side. She had failed prior PT for the hip, thus the surgical THA followed. Her opposite hip also suffered with OA, bone-on-bone, loss of motion, strength, ambulatory capacity, ability to reliably perform transitional movements, and pain at night while resting was worsening. She was scheduled for surgery to take place on the left hip after completing rehab on the newly replaced right hip joint. She told me her surgeon had operated on the worst hip first and planned to replace the remaining hip after it was predicted to completely fail as a consequence of having to carry her without the full assistance of the replaced hip that now needed to undergo rehab. It was the surgeon's opinion, she said, that her remaining hip, just like the first one, was non-recoverable without surgery due to her age and the amount of degenerative change present. She was not looking forward to another surgery and lengthy recovery. She just wanted to improve her quality of life for her remaining years. This included remaining independent in the home with her husband. And the last example, a 50-year-old woman with multi-level cervical spine degenerative disc disease, degenerative joint changes, and chronic worsening cervical spine, arm, and leg pain for the last five years, four of which consisted of pain management with increasing amounts of pharmacological support accompanying brain fog, steroid injections from a spine specialist, and ongoing intensive pharmacomanagement of her chronic pain. All efforts failed. Her condition was worsening to the point that surgery was scheduled. One she didn't want, but one which promised to improve her condition. Not necessarily fix it, but improve it. She felt trapped in her situation, a prisoner in her own body. She was increasingly hopeless that anything, even surgery, would help. All of these patients had at least four things in common. One, they all failed prior treatments, including physical therapy, surgery, pain management, or some combination of each. This despite receiving care from a variety of qualified experts with varying levels of education, backgrounds, skills, knowledge, and techniques at their disposal, including popular and trendy methods mixed with tried-and-true standard therapeutic interventions and even a few lesser-known methods. Two, they had all been told by their past physical therapists, surgeons, or pain management experts some version of, we've done all we can do. You're just going to have to learn to live with the pain. Three, they all had been told by their surgeons or other medical experts that they had problems that could only be treated with surgery, drugs, or pain management. Physical therapy wasn't going to work anyway with such advanced problems. Four, they all recovered without drugs, without surgery, or, in some cases, despite failed surgery, with my care. That's nice to be able to say. The first patient, the one with failed back surgery syndrome, recovered completely, became pain-free, returned to full function, lost the weight, and resumed an active lifestyle to include scuba diving and snow skiing. She told me, 
I want other people to know what's possible. Don't lose hope. I had given up hope because I had failed surgery and three prior attempts at treatment with different PTs also failed. Life as I knew it was over. Now I have my life back. The second patient with a bilateral severe knee OA who was facing a potential double knee replacement recovered completely. Her pain went away. So too did the swelling and pitting edema. She could climb a thousand steps, walk on the beach, run across the street to avoid traffic or to get in out of the rain, and her life returned to normal. Together, we had fixed her knees. She said she was so excited she wanted to dance in her surgeon's office and show off her results. When she showed up in person to cancel her pre-op consultation, her joint replacement surgeon was stunned by what he saw. He told her, I've never before seen knees this bad recover. Ever. The third patient with severe degenerative OA of her glenohumeral joint recovered completely. She could resume all her usual activities, including sleeping through the night on her side. Most important of all, she resumed playing with and lifting her beloved grandchildren. When I asked her what she did about her scheduled follow-up appointment with the surgeon, she said, I canceled it. I told his office that I was back to normal. This physical therapy worked. I was fixed. I didn't need surgery anymore. The fourth patient with end-stage left hip osteoarthritis, who had already had the opposite right hip replaced for the same reasons, recovered completely. She was thrilled to report to her surgeon and cancel her upcoming hip surgery. Her prehab performed while working to help the right side recovery, also entirely resolved her pain and dysfunction in the left hip that was awaiting surgery. We had discussed this option, to work also on the left hip that had not undergone surgery, to see if we could help it recover, and she decided to give it a try. She had nothing to lose and everything to gain. She was thrilled with her decision, but she raised an interesting question. If physical therapy fixed my left hip without surgery, then it's possible to recover. So, did I really need the surgery on my right hip? The fifth patient, the one with multi-level cervical spine discopathy and related issues, recovered completely. She discontinued all her pain management, she avoided surgery, and she regained a physically active lifestyle. In fact, she was thrilled that she was even able to increase her physical activities. She had previously been confused, wondered if this was the best modern healthcare could achieve, and she had given up hope. Among her many comments was this persistent question Why wasn't I referred to physical therapy first? Another question arises, an overarching question that compels serious contemplation. It is a truism that on any given day, not everyone is up to the task at hand. This applies to both patients and PTs, but as a group, PTs, as movement experts, are positioned to deal with these kinds of problems. None are particularly uncommon, 
though these cases may be more advanced than BTs are typically used to dealing with. However, the question remains, why did I have success where others had failed? The simple answer is that I did something different than the other providers. Either I did something that no one else thought of, or I applied the information we all have access to in a novel manner, or with greater precision. Maybe it was a little bit of each of these things. In other words, maybe what I did wasn't all that different. But the small differences mattered. They summed to a value greater than the parts. To put it differently, the outcome may have been an emergent property, one that was inevitable when the right factors were combined in the right manner and magic happened. If this sounds as if it strays into the esoteric, it doesn't. It is grounded in science, backed up by a sound rationale, or at least as sound as can be derived from the available scientific literature, accumulated clinical pearls, our clinical research, and experience dealing with the complexities we all face. And this produces results that can be measured, quantified, and replicated. Emergent properties are a consequence of complex systems. And when we are dealing with people, we are certainly faced with a myriad of complexities. A complex answer, which is beyond the scope of today's talk, is one sprinkled throughout all of these podcasts at Clinical PT Talks. I am primarily a clinical PT. I am also at least equally a clinical research scientist. I pay close attention to many details, and I think about and tinker with these details. I have ideas and experiences I wish to share because of their demonstrated value. The value is not just that which I have witnessed and patients have experienced. It is also that predicted by our science created by many different researchers. Science which is simultaneously drawn from both clinical and basic resources, but which also includes theoretical work merged with the practical experience of dealing with people and human nature. And here we include the nature of the patients, of course, but also that of the providers. In the cases described above, each patient had a set of expectations that included the idea that surely someone in the healthcare system could help solve or even fix their problem. Their expectations were not met. There was seemingly no place else to go. Despite this, some continued searching and eventually found me. For those who had given up, others, friends, family, former patients, physicians, recommended they come see me. The ones that made it to me did get fixed. They returned to their lives despite the interruptions and derailments, despite what their physicians or other PTs told them, despite what the current scientific consensus tells us. In our clinical research, we find that 94% of patients with chronic problems, which, by the way, historically makes up two-thirds of my patient population, most often including not only chronic pain but associated disability and comorbidities, who make it to our office by word of mouth or physician referrals, respond well to intake testing during the initial exam. This indicates a phenotypic responder reaction is present. 
This boosts our confidence in our ability to successfully resolve or at least reduce patient complaints, including increasing function. Another 4% who do not precisely fit our selection criteria in early responder analysis nonetheless respond quite well to exploratory treatment. That pushes our success rate with resolving or at least reducing symptoms and improving function in patients with chronic complaints to a level that exceeds what is reported in published literature. The bar we set for making this analysis is a minimum of 80% recovery averaged across multiple domains that include, but is not limited to, things such as active range of motion, specific strength, motor control, performance testing, load tolerance, psychodynamic scores, patient self-report of recovery, and recovery assessed via appropriate regional outcome tools. These changes are consistently achieved in the majority of cases, vary somewhat from region to region, and generally recovery exceeds 90% compared to normative data. In some cases, patients continue to improve, and long-term follow-up reveals capacities that exceed even their pre-morbid status. I mention these cases because they illustrate what is possible. What we do with a population that is known for having low recovery potential is mechanobiologically oriented rehabilitation. In other words, an organized approach to a rigorous application of scientific ideas, principles derived from the literature and matched against clinical realities, merged with patients' issues and goals. The acute end of the patient injury spectrum will respond to most things, including the passage of time, but the same is not true at the chronic end. The main takeaways from today's talk are, one, patients with chronic pain can be helped. Two, the nature of that help must be and can be different than what is currently offered. Three, success can be measured, both in terms of testing and treatment response, which helps treatment selection and dosing, and in outcomes. Mechanobiologically oriented rehabilitation provides a framework for pursuing solutions to these types of complex problems. I'm Dr. Mark White. That concludes our talk for now. Thanks for listening. And as always, may you and your patients be well. That's all for today.